Good morning, everyone. If you're visiting with us, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at ECC. Glad that you're here today. We're going to be continuing our series through the book of Proverbs. If you want to open up your Bibles to the book, uh, to Proverbs chapter 4 this morning. Uh, if you're not used to using your Bible, Proverbs is kind of just past the midway point of your Bible. Book of Proverbs chapter 4. Let's just uh, open with a word of prayer. God, open my heart, open our hearts to receive what you have for us today, because I know that it's good, and I know that it's more than what I could share with my words. So for each one today, may your Holy Spirit just speak directly to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to envision something with me this morning. If you can, just use your imagination. But you're in a doctor's room. You're getting a bird's eye view of a conversation that's happening as you watch and look over as a man lies in a bed. His wife clutches the hand of her husband. The only sound at the moment is the sound of the monitors, the different apparatuses that are hooked up to him going back and forth. As the doctor enters the room, it seems like those noises start to fade to the background as everyone focuses and waits for the words that he's going to share. There's a problem with John's heart. It just can no longer keep up. Imagine that you are a member of that family. What does this mean? What can you do? Perhaps some of you have had similar experiences where you've been in that hospital room when someone's received news like that. How would you respond? How would you respond if you were the one lying in the bed with the heart condition? Would you not take it seriously? Would you just go, well, what's the point? It is what it is. Or would you listen to the doctor and at least ask for options of what you could do? What could be available? The Bible tells us that we all have a heart condition. And today we're going to continue our summer series in Proverbs looking at the issue of the heart. In the book of Proverbs, the word heart, or leb, is found 104 times. 104 times just in the book of Proverbs. Now this word heart, what it refers to is it refers to the inner man, the mind, understanding, conscience. It's used widely and figuratively for feelings, for the will, or for intellect. It's speaking of your inner man. It's not just specifically on the organ of the heart, but in our culture and in the culture of Jesus' day and in the Hebrew culture, the heart was correlated to our conscience, our emotion, or our will. I love you deep in my heart. On Valentine's Day, we don't have pictures of livers over all the walls. But you know that there are actual tribes where they, they correlate, as we do the heart, they correlate the liver as being the place where the soul lives. In our culture, we correlate the heart is where the soul, the mind, the, the will exists. It's representative of that. As we came into the summer, Pastor Marlowe asked, all of those who are going to be preaching, to pick the message titles that they wanted, the different uh, kind of focuses in the book of Proverbs through this series. 
My response was that I'd be more than excited to speak on any of these topics. And so whatever was left at the end, that was what I would speak on. Yet I find it funny that this topic of the heart, in hindsight, is the one I'm speaking on. Because for me this year, it's particularly meaningful. Only a handful of people know that this past year, I've had issues with my own heart. I had some health issues last year, and doctors began to focus on doing tests on my heart. As any smart husband would do, I kept this secret from my wife all year. <laughs> uh, I did a variety of tests throughout the fall in the new year, and I received a call uh, in January from one of my doctors that they had found a birth defect in my heart. It was a rare defect that exists in about one every 10,000 people. So the doctor uh, told he needed me to come in immediately to do some more tests and follow-up. Now, his words of reassurance was that it could be nothing and be completely irrelevant, or this can often lead to pe relatively healthy-looking people suddenly dropping dead. That was really comforting. Uh, thankfully, I'm good, I think. If I suddenly fall down and die, I lied. Uh, but I uh, found out every everything's fine, I'm okay. Um, but with that, this past year, I had to... Uh, dust off my biology studies from high school, and again, educate myself on the heart. There is a reason why the physical organism of the heart is such great symbolism for the inner man, for the will, the soul. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Solomon, the wisest man that we know in history, a man who is literally thousands of years later known as the wisest man who ever lived, said these words, Above all else, guard your heart. What does it mean to guard your heart? You're in the circumstance of caring for your physical heart and you go to the doctor's office and he tells you to take care of yourself, to take care of your heart. He's going to give you some instructions of what to do in your life. He's going to tell you, I want you to start to do this list of exercises, these things, to eat these foods, avoid these things. These, avoid these stressors to guard your heart for us. I think this is something that oftentimes in churches, for Christ followers, we have a bit of a misconception of the idea of guarding our heart. A very superficial, and to be honest, a very self-serving understanding of what it means to guard our heart. Mistakenly, many assume that to guard our heart means to avoid things that cause pain. That avoiding pain somehow is guarding our heart. But the avoidance of pain is not the marker of care or health. Think of your physical heart. I can tell you this. When I exercise vigorously, there can be pain experienced. When I eat foods that I am told are healthy for me, sometimes it's not a rewarding experience. It can feel like pain. Guarding your heart is not to avoid pain at all costs. Rather, it is 
as the Bible clearly tells us, to avoid sin at all costs. The Bible teaches us that the greatest threat to our heart and to our soul is not discomfort, it is not pain, but it's sin that easily entangles our souls and traps us from the life that we are called to. We are to guard our heart and avoid those things that can cause us to sin. Jesus spoke about this himself as we see this in Matthew chapter 5. And he talks about if your right eye causes you to sin, if there's something in your life that causes you to sin, Jesus uses this language, this, this metaphor, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, take it out from you. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Now he's not saying literally mutilate your body, but he's saying remove those things from you. There's something that tempts you. If there's something that you know perpetually brings you into sin, remove it from your life. Guard your heart above all else. Goes on in this verse to say, for everything you do flows from it. And your physical body, your physical heart, circulates the blood to all your vital organs. In doing so, it does two very crucial things, just keeping it really rudimentary here. But first of all, it brings life-giving oxygen and nutrients to different parts of your body so that they can thrive and live. It helps circulate and deliver the good things that every organ in your body needs. That's the first thing it does. And then with that, the second thing it does is it helps to take out or remove waste. And this is just as crucial as if waste was not removed, the pileup would cause catastrophic and eventually fatal results. The heart is literally the lifeline of the body. When we speak of our heart in Proverbs, it's the same. Your soul, your will, your inner man works the same way. What you allow to live inside of you will either bring life or it will bring destruction. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man brings good things not out of what the people around him have said, not out of the good circumstances that he has been provided or given or earned, but a good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. Jesus went on to, uh, on at another point to talk about it's not what is outside us, the world around us, that reversely defiles us, that produces waste and rot in us, but it's what is inside of us. So this morning I ask you, what are the nutrients that you are bringing into your inner man? In church, we talk often about prayer, and we talk often about reading your Bible. We encourage you and try and champion as much as we can as pastors for you to do this. The point of this is not so that you can mark off a checklist and somehow earn God's approval. But rather, it's the rewards, it's the good, it's the nutrients that it brings inside of you. It's the benefit that it has for you. It's about depositing the good things into your heart into your spirit so that your whole being is fed. A good man brings good out of the good stored up in his heart. 
Jesus' words. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What are you full of today? No expletives allowed. What are you full of today? Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. It also goes on in Proverbs to say that bitterness, which can be the end result of jealousy, rots an individual to the bones, to the very core. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, and selfishness. All of these things actually bring destruction to yourself. It rots you from the inside out. This morning I want us to spend our remaining time together examining some of those things that flow from your heart. And I want you just to, in your Bibles, just flip forward to Proverbs chapter 3, just one chapter earlier. We're going to reference verses 1 to 6 for the rest of the message this morning. I want to look at three core areas that flow from your heart. They are your choices, your character, and your course. Your choices, your character, and your course. So let's read Proverbs 3, 1 to 6 together. I'll be reading out of the NIV version this morning. It says this, My son, or ladies, my daughter, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So the first thing that flows from our heart this morning we see is from your heart come your choices. This first verse in chapter 1. Do not forget my teaching. This is God. Do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. This do not forget, these words do not forget could also be translated do not ignore. Do not ignore my teaching. If you've been in church, you've probably heard some Bible teaching. Do not ignore the truth that you've been told. Don't ignore God's words. This, his, his commands, which is the law, God's written word or direction and instruction. But it says we are to keep these commands. We are to watch over, to guard, to protect or guard something. That's what this word means. Now I want, I want you to think of it this way. I want you to think of a slice of cheese and a zucchini loaf. Is anybody hungry this morning? Seriously, is anybody hungry? All right, I got some takers. All right. First hand I saw was Kyle. So Kyle, you got your choice. Now, I'm going to sell these well to you. 
What I have here is a cheese slice that I found at the bottom of the fridge. I'm not actually sure how old it is, but it is, it is scary because I'm pretty sure it's several years old, but it still looks the same. Or a homemade loaf of zucchini bread. Not old. Which one would you like? Oh, perfect. All right, so you can have that. Have a little snack because I plan on preaching for, at least, preaching for at least 12 minutes. All right, and I saw your hand get up, so I'm going to give you a cheese slice there. How's that feel, Greg? Not good for my heart. Not good for your heart. Does anybody else want this cheese slice? Anyone? Cheese slice? No takers. Okay. Now, there's no nuts. You're good. No nuts. You're safe there. But what I what I like you to think about is this. Now, between those two, how many of you would choose the zucchini loaf? Okay. Any cheese takers? Anybody? Yeah. One cheeser. Oh, why didn't you tell me? Here's... You just go ahead and you snack on that. Perfect. Okay. Now, here's the thing. As much as you might like that zucchini loaf, I want to put this in, a, in another perspective. There's a little bit of value there. Now, it's, it's homemade. It's good. It's all good. And feel free to eat it. Make sure that you taunt those around you. But there's a little bit of value. Now, I want you to imagine your house is on fire. You've got two minutes to get yourself and your family out. Kyle. Are you running in to grab that zucchini loaf? No? No? You just told me you wanted it. Why not? Because there's not the value there. There's other things that are of greater value, just like if you were to sit down at the dinner table and you had the cheese slice out of, outside of one person here, most people are going to choose the zucchini loaf. Now, I, I want to change things here. Now, imagine the cake is a little different. I looked this up. This is for real. The most expensive cake in the world. Anybody want to take a guess how much the most expensive cake in the world is worth? 1.4 million? That sounds expensive. Not close. I looked this up. The most expensive cake in the world is a 75 million US dollar cake. It is six feet long and weighs around 1,000 pounds. Now, if I can, I'm going to give you a little bit of details of this cake. It contains 4,000 diamonds, including a 5.2 carat pink diamond, a 6.4 carat yellow diamond, a fifth and 15 carat white diamonds. Uh, these 17 stones alone cost $45 million. $45 million. Besides the cake's uh, runway is made of 401 carat diamonds, 73 carat white diamonds, and 75 three-carat black diamonds. For those of you who are like, how do you eat that? Uh, they also add that the flavors in this cake include Madagascan vanilla bean and mascarpone cream with strawberry conserve, and the runway was done with triple Belgium chocolate with chocolate ganache and chocolate truffle cream. Now, if your house is on fire, Kyle, and you have your $75 million cake. Is that one of the items you grab? <laughs> There's something about value. Something about worth and value that changes how we respond to something. And my fear is that for many of us, we have heard the truth about who God is, about what he wants for us and what he's called for us and what's important to him. 
and we put some value on it. It's a nice zucchini loaf. It's great. Especially on a cold, rainy day. Put a little butter on that thing, and it's a great snack. And we put some value on it. But the value we put on it is minimal, and with that, the effect that it has on us and the impact it has on us is minimal. But if we actually take God's literal words seriously, he tells us that his word is of immense value. It is treasure given to you. And we are called to watch over, to guard it, to protect it. For those of you who have been in church, you're probably familiar with the parable that Jesus talked about of of the talents where a a, a rich owner gave talents or or pieces of uh, coins of of money to people as he went away and did business in another land. He talks about those who invested it and built on it and the one who hid it out of fear. God has given you something of immense worth in his word. And you are called to be what we call stewards of that. You are responsible for taking care of it for investing it into the world around you. Your heart, your conscience, your will, and your intellect gets the choice. This is mind-boggling to me, that a God who created all that is and made me and you, and in a moment, with just a thought and a whisper, could eradicate all of us. But God made you and me and gave us the choice to keep God's command. Don't forget God's law. Because God's law allows us to be found in his goodwill. God's commands, when grabbed a hold of by the heart, will add to your life in positive ways. We see this in verse 2 as, as he goes on to say, For they will prolong your life with many years and bring you peace and prosperity. The greatest benefit of receiving God's truth in your life is forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus. Bar none. That's the greatest gift. But additionally here, we see two things that God's word will bring for your life right now, immediately. One, prolonged life. Why would you live longer when you guard, you protect, you keep God's word in your life? I don't know about your personal experience with God. But I can tell you this from what I know of him in my experience and what I read in the Bible. His desire for you is good. God's law, his word, is actually instructions not on how you should be disciplined and be his slave, but instructions on how to live the fullest of life. When you allow God's law to take root in your heart, it affects how you live in positive ways. Proverbs 17, says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones, takes life right from you. God's law isn't meant to break us, but to help, us keep, help keep us from brokenness. Sin, anxiety, and worry rot us from inside. God's word is there to help steer us from that. Mark seven fifteen says this. 
It is not, this is again Jesus, not what goes into your body that defiles you, but you are defiled by what comes out of your heart. So heart brings prolonged life. But it also says in this verse, and it brings peace. The word shalom, which means completeness and soundness. Knowing God's law, his truth, his word, his promises, it brings a shalom. A true inner feeling of completeness. And with that, a peace. Because what is it that keeps us from peace? It's the reality for many of us that we know we're not yet complete, that we're missing something, that something is wrong. But God's word, when we grab it and we take hold of it, we live it, it brings a shalom, a completeness and a peace. Your heart can choose to follow God and can choose to receive his peace. As Philippians 4, 7, and the Apostle Paul wrote, this peace was given by God and it transcends all understanding. Transcends circumstance. It transcends the family you were born to. It transcends the economic situation of you individually and your family. It transcends the neighborhood you live in and the challenges you face and the physical body that you have. And it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Peace comes as we choose with our inner man to hold on to God's promises. Choose. It's still a choice. Which in turn then brings peace beyond our understanding. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. You choose first to embrace and guard God's heart, God's word in your heart. So secondly, we see your heart determines your character. First, it's your choices. Second, it's your character. Again, in verse 3, we see, Let love and faithfulness, in Proverbs 4, Let love and faithfulness never lead you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Let love, let goodness, this word love is chesed, goodness, kindness. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. In a world that is often jaded and never take the easy way of joining the masses of complainers. Because it's the easiest way to fit in is to complain. If you're a student, the easiest way to fit in is to complain about your teachers and talk about how stupid they are. If you're an employee, the easiest way to fit in is to complain about your boss and what an idiot they are and how they don't know the proper way to do protocols. Trust me, it's how I fit in here. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Marlo. But it is. It's the easiest way to try and fit in, unfortunately, in our culture. Be those who truly reach out with kindness and faithfully. Stand out in a good way. This is how you actually gain a good reputation. Because when your heart is truly functioning the way God designed it to, when you're bringing in the good nutrients and taking out the waste, it means that you're no longer becoming resentful. And your character is being formed in you. Again, Luke 16, 15, a good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
This word in, in Luke, heart, is cardia. It means the center or the seat of your spiritual life. Your reputation will not be made out of what you want your exterior to look like. But character and true reputation build over time to who you truly are and who God makes you into. You can fool people for a while, but truth eventually comes out. See, the, the bottom line here is, is character. It's not about what other th others think, but your reputation has impact on the world around you. And your reputation is a byproduct. It's not the goal, but it is the byproduct of a heart that has truly guarded God's word. It's what flows out from there. Those of great character develop great reputation. If you look around, those of you who own businesses will already know this. But I remember I used to do teaching in uh, junior high school all the time, and we used to talk to kids about character stuff. And um, one of the things that most people don't realize is they figure that your capabilities, your giftings, are probably the number one thing that an employer looks for. But across the board, when employers hire someone, the number one quality they look for is trustworthiness. Character far surpasses capability. Focus your heart on God's word and it will affect and form your character and change who you are. Number three, your heart will determine your course. So we finish this portion in, in Proverbs. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust or be confident. Be bold. And this word, be secure. This word trust. Trust with all your heart. Some of you ask, how do I trust? How can I trust? I only trust as I truly believe and have faith in. If my doctor tells me to take something, some weird smelling stuff, and he says it's good for you, I will probably hesitantly try it because I believe in his ability, his qualifications as my doctor. I pay a little more attention in my life to some particular brand names because I trust in some areas, sometimes the no-name brand's pretty good, but there are some things where I trust brand recognition, I trust the quality of a product, and I'll pay a little more because I trust the brand, the reputation of the brand. There are also things that I will share with my wife and those close in my life because I trust them. I've learned to trust that they will care and support me. I believe in my wife. In, the relation, in our relationship, she has proven trustworthy where I can share things with her that I might not share with other people. God wants your trust. And he deserves your trust. He wants you to trust him because of his qualifications, because of his resume and his written word. He wants you to trust him because of his track record. Again, if you reference God's word, you can see what God has pulled through for many in history. You can see what he's done before and hear the testimonies of others who've known what it is to follow God when they didn't know where it was going. 
And finally, he wants you to trust because of who and what he has been in your life. Now, for some of you, this is a tough one. And this is a really important one. Because maybe you've never actually had a real relationship with God. Or maybe you, you've had a relationship with God, but you are going through something so difficult right now that you have a hard time seeing past the circumstances that you're facing. Your walk with God was easy, but now you face life circumstances that make it so hard that truthfully, you feel like there's only two options. Either God really doesn't exist, or you are so bitter and angry with him for how he could let this happen. That trust seems like anything but possible. The true ability to trust only comes through the difficulty that forces us not to rely on our own ability. When I go down a zip line, I can't really say I trust the line to hold me until my feet are off the ground. If you look through history and you read God's word, there are many testimonies of people that really only learned to trust God and really only learned to rely on God because they went through difficulties that forced them to learn how to not to rely on themselves. And you and I are no different. God had to do it to Moses and God had to do it to David. Probably has to with us too. Because our natural tendency is to want God like a zucchini loaf, but not trust him. Proverbs 19.21 says this, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel will stand. Jeremiah 17.9, The heart, that same word in Proverbs is used here, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This term heart here can refer to our feelings, our intellect. Our feelings are not to be the dictator Your feelings are not the dictator and ruler of what is truth. If you solely live off your own feelings, perspectives, and emotions, you will live a life on a rudderless journey of ups and downs, constantly and frantically trying to survive extremes with great anxiety. God's path does not mean a life without difficulty and tension. John 16.33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, In this world, these are Jesus' words, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The truth is is that we thrive within the tension when we live, that we live in when our hearts are connected not to our understanding and interpretation of life, but when we lean into God's understanding. When we actually learn to lean into the turn. If you've ever driven a fast car, to do the very thing that it seems the most scariest to do and when we lean into the turn and actually trust God and not try and hold it ourselves. I want to close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm just going to read from verse 16. It says this, Therefore, for those of you I want to speak especially who are feeling discouraged today, I'm going to pray for you in a moment. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. For our light and monetary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So this is what we need to do. 
And if you'll bear with me, because I don't want you to feel insulted by the simplicity of it. And I know that sometimes when I'm in my deepest and darkest, it can be hard when someone just tells you what it is. But this is honestly how you get out. And it's not a simple pill. But this is what it is. So we fix our eyes. We choose today. Not to look at the waves of the sea of circumstances that are in front of us. We stop looking at the good counsel of people that we think are smart and giving that the most important in our lives or the people that complain to us or the things that we don't think are fair. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on our health, not on our bank account, not even on our relationships with our family. But we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do not lose heart. This means don't become discouraged. Church, don't become discouraged. God's put a plan in place for you, and what he wants is for you to guard your heart. Hold on to the truth that he has for you. Continue to bring in the good nutrients because your heart isn't broken. But for some of us, our heart isn't healthy. The good news is that that's not irreparable damage because our God is a God of miracles and he can transform our hearts. Fix your eyes on what is unseen. Fix your eyes on to Jesus. I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I want to pray for those of us today. Perhaps our hearts are wounded, hurt, and broken. Perhaps there's someone here that just, that idea of having a relationship with God is so foreign and so complex. I pray right now that you could just by your Holy Spirit reveal to them that it's as simple as just saying, Jesus, I want to know you. Come in me and live in me. Live in my heart, not my physical organ heart, but live in my inner being, my soul. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to live for you and I want to serve you. That's you. You just pray or it's just like that. The Bible tells us that God will come in and transform us. He'll forgive us our sins. For those of you who today you just feel discouraged, God, I just pray in Jesus' name. Lord, genuinely, can you just transform our hearts where they have become dysfunctional? Lord, we've allowed our own intellect, our own thoughts and our own ideas, believing that they are the core source of truth. But as your word says, they are deceitful. They're deceitful and they've taken us down wrong routes. And because of that, many of us struggle with extreme anxiety, with extreme worry, with depression, with fear. I pray right now, God, can you just supernaturally perform spiritual heart surgery on us? Can you take out the gunk? Can you remove the waste that we've allowed to pile up? Can you allow our hearts to begin to take in the good stuff again? God, the things that are life-giving, can you allow us to again to know what it is to have hope? To know what it is to experience love? God, for those of us who the word joy has become so forward, may you fill us with your joy and wholeness today. I pray for healing 
that we can go from this building this morning full of the life you have for us with fully healthy, functioning hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.